Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyer Labs, and today we get to talk to Chris Duvos. Chris is the Managing Director at Venture Investment Associates, which is an employee-owned manager of private equity funds of funds, and we'll learn more what that means, uh, and they focus on venture capital, growth equity, and buyouts, and they have about a billion dollars in the capital commitments. So Chris also has a wonderful investment background before Venture Investment Associates, which we can learn about, and he's located in Palo Alto, California. So I wanted to bring on Chris just to ask more about fund and fund of funds and how they work and uh, what he's excited about now and uh, learn more about his past. So uh, Chris, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, and you know, I'm, I'm very excitable, so uh, you'll <laughs> learn a lot about a lot of different things that excite me, so, uh, so I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Well, feel free to uh, take it in a different direction if you're ex- especially excited about something. But um, so, so I, I w- can you tell us a little bit about your background before we get into what you're doing now? Sure. So I uh, was actually a strategy consultant out of college. So I worked at a firm that did a lot of you know kind of high level stuff for large companies, and it was kind of the liberal arts of business, if you will, because I got to work across a bunch of different functional areas and a bunch of different um, industries, and that was a ton of fun. Um, but I felt like I was developing this um, this really kind of shallow skill set because I was on all kinds of different projects but had a taste for a whole bunch of things. So so went to business school, um, and then uh, during business school, actually spent my uh, my business school summer at one of these, you know, kind of Wall Street investment banks and just felt absolutely oppressed by it. It was just a, a, a terrible experience. And I got back to business school and uh, and sat down with Wait, a guy did, that I actually done in college. Did you say depre- depre- depressed? Are you... Uh... Oh yeah, oh, yeah. It, was, it, was a, it was a. You gotta give us at least one. It was it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it was. Well, I'll tell you a story that I don't often tell, and I probably should tell it in a podcast. But, um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, it was one of these jobs where, like, you have to kind of sit around and wait on the whim of of somebody else. Um, and you know, there's kind of a lot of unproductive waiting, and and the you know the penalties for not kind of complying with the the. Up- you know, up and ups were, you know, kind of severe. And so I remember I was sitting around and, and it was maybe 11.30, 11.45, like on a Tuesday night. And I was tired of like sitting at my desk waiting for some managing director to throw some work at me and, and nature called. So I grabbed my, uh, <laughs> grabbed my Wall Street Journal and, and sauntered over to the men's room and, you know, was kind of doing some business and my pager went off. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go, um, uh, finish my business and then go find out what this is going on. So maybe, you know, we're talking like 15 minutes between, yeah. you know, by the time I got all squared away and then went back to my desk and, and, uh, and, uh, did one quick email thing and then wandered into this guy's office and he absolutely ripped my head off. And he was like, I can't believe you were missing for 15 minutes. Mind you, this is now at midnight. <laughs> um, I can't believe you're missing for 15 minutes. You know, we've got this client in Mexico that's thinking about doing a merger, and we need to get on this right away. And because I couldn't find you for 15 minutes, I staffed somebody else, and I, you know, this is going to come up in your review. And I was like, "Really? This is this is how we define victory at midnight? Um, that's at, amazing at midnight, right? 
<laughs> so, you know, this is kind of life, but, you know, as an investment banking associate, right? And, and so, um, so, uh, you know, you, you kind of get abused, uh, in hopes that, one day you, um, you know, you can be, be fantastic and fabulous. Um, but it just didn't seem worth it to me. And as you know, the other thing about it was I really felt like we were agents, you know, we weren't principals, we were agents. And, you know, so we were always running around trying, and it was a very servicey business. And I'm a servicey guy. So that part of it didn't kill me, but I got back to, back to business school and bumped into this guy who is in the Yale investments office, Seth Alexander. He's got a chief investment officer at MIT. Um, and Seth had been a year behind me in college and Seth and I started talking and I said, tell me about what you do at, at Yale Investments Office. And he started off by saying, you know, it's amazing. It's the closest I'm ever going to come to doing, you know, to managing my own billion dollar fortune. I go, tell me more. He goes, look, you know, we've got one client, the university. Um, we manage a lot of money with very low liquidity needs, few tax headaches, you know, an a perpetual horizon, et cetera, et cetera, all the kind of attributes that make endowment investors uh, so lucky um, and give them, you know, kind of competitive advantage. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is outstanding. And I said, you know, could you plug me in? And, you know, could I get a, a job at, at Yale? And, you know, he's like, I'm sorry, um, but Princeton's hiring, so you might want to go talk to them. <laughs> and it's actually funny the way I think, you know, the way I got the Princeton job was Seth and I spent a bunch of time talking about timber. He's like, you know, the Princeton guys really dig timber, and there are lots of actors that make timber a great investment, right? If prices are low for wood, you just leave the trees in the ground, and they actually become more valuable, right? So you've got, like, some counter-cyclicality, and, and, um, but also kind of, you know, uh, growth. Like you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? It's, it's, a, it's a funny little option. So literally, I think the first interview at Princeton, um, I spent the whole thing talking about timber. Um, yeah, I never, I'd never done a timber investment before or since, but it was like such a really interesting, you know, kind of discussion and we really got into it. And I think that like, you know, helped me to get the, the job. So I ended up at Princeton's endowment, um, which was an absolute hoot. I mean, that, that's such a great platform and Princeton's such a great institution. It's such a great team. Um, and I was working on, uh, hedge funds and private equity. Um, private equity, including venture. So, um, so, uh, so that was actually a really interesting time because I found this is now 0102. Um, I found that, um, the hedge fund guys and the domestic equity guys were spending all their time trying to find like a little angle or, you know, figure out how they could make their piece of a pretty static pie bigger. Mm. Whereas the private equity guys, and I use guys gender neutral, right? Men and women. Yep. yep. They were all, tr- you know, they're all trying to be catalytic owners. How do we buy this asset and improve it? Uh, you know, in the venture space, how do we, uh, you know, how do we um, create something? How do we go from zero to one? You know, private equity actually gets a bad rap for being, you know, kind of corporate raiders and all this and that. But but most of the most of the people that um, that we worked with you know, were these catalytic owners that were trying to make these businesses better. Um, so, you know, long story short, uh, that was like really, you know, kind of, you, you know, trying to make our pot, our piece of a growing pie. You know, that was so much more compelling to me than, than working in, you know, in hedge funds, um, you know, fighting over that, that static pie. And I, so I really kind of dove into it and then really started spending time in, in venture 
and was spending a lot of time kind of visiting, uh, you know, California. And, you know, Walt Whitman in, you know, kind of 1858 wrote, you know, kind of about California with the flashing and golden pageant of California, populous cities and the latest inventions with the newest machinery. Right? And that, that held as, you know, I, I always love that phrase, populous cities and the latest inventions, right? Was, <laughs> it, you know, it, it held as true in 2002, 2003 as it did in, you know, 1858. And just, you know, kind of, I ended up moving out here in, in 07 or 08, sorry. Um, but, uh, but, you know, here in California, we do kind of live a few years in the future. And, you know, the, the kind of things that, that, um, that go on out here were just so mes- mesmerizing. And I don't mean to be a, a California homer. You know, there's great stuff going on ac- all across the country and some really important, uh, uh, you know, kind of clusters of innovation and all that stuff. But, you know, nowhere is it as concentrated as, as it is here. And I started saying, holy smokes, this is where I want to spend my time. I want to, I want to really be a part of the innovation economy. And so that was a hoot. I was at Princeton for, uh, for three years to the day. Um, and then went, had a great opportunity to co-manage, um, the private equity portfolio at, at the investment fund for foundations. Um, and I, I'll talk about that a little bit later because what kind of grabbed me was, um, about that opportunity was so amazing. Um, and did that for seven years, moved out to California during that time. Um, and then, uh, and then as, uh, we had a change of leadership and a kind of a different kind of geographic, um, mandate, uh, you know, they talked about closing down the office out here and I didn't want to move back to Boston. You know, I'd been enchanted by the sunny and magical land. Um, and so hooked up with my current, uh, partners whom I'd known since like a one Oh two, um, to, to work on some stuff here. So it's been, it's been a crazy adventure. Wow. Yeah, that's a good story. And so when, well, I guess, when did you start investing? Was it when you went essentially to Princeton or, and then, or, or a different question could be, what was your first investment that you made and were you nervous? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, so, you know, it's funny, at the end of my time in strategy consulting, so we're talking about 99, um, uh, <laughs> we had like this little nascent initiative to, uh, to run a hedge fund. And so I was actually an analyst on that hedge fund and was, was doing, um, a bunch of stuff and actually partially went to business school because I didn't understand what the heck was going on. Um, you know, when we value, this is 99, 98, 99, mind you, like companies are getting valued on eyeballs. Right. And I'm like, wait a second, when something's valued on eyeballs, is each person one eyeball or two, right? Like what's that? My, my, you know, denominator might be off here. Um, but, uh, but, um, so I was doing a bunch of stuff and it was tough because, um, I was doing kind of telecom and financial services, public market investing. But the challenge was that we had to be um, net neutral. So for, because it was a hedge fund. So for every idea, every long idea I put in the portfolio, I had to put a short idea in. And it was so perilous to be short because if something was cheap, somebody would swoop in and buy it. And so, you know, you just really, you're just really kind of struggling in that way. So I used to, you know, my public market investments that, that I'd make, I would just be like, oh my gosh, it would stress me out so much. <laughs> um, you know, but, but fast forward to, to Princeton, um, uh, you know, that's when I started like moving, you know, institutional scale dollars. 
And, you know, there was some stuff we did in those early days in 01 and 02, you know, kind of venture funds and, and some buyout funds, um, you know, where people were investing into some, uh, into a pretty grim environment. And, you know, you, you'd kind of lose a, a lot of sleep over, over each of those. But, um, you know, but in the fullness of time, the folks, and, you know, at the, you alluded to it earlier, at the fund of funds level, or, you know, at an institution like Princeton, we're investing in fund managers, not in actually the assets. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, kind of understanding these people and, and that really, you know, started, um, formulating my contrarian streak because, you know, a lot of the people in whom we were investing, um, you know, like to zig when the market was zagging and, and vice versa. And, you know, finding people who were greedy when the world was fearful, um, you know, during that time was, was no small feat. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and the, the, you know, the, the, the flip side is sometimes, uh, you know, today it feels like people are being, um, you know, I, I gotta be fearful when the world is greedy. You know, that's the opposite side of that Buffett yeah, yeah. equilibrium. Right. And so, um, so it was, it was an interesting time. Do you, do you remember one investment, uh, that was kind of contrarian that worked out well? Um, I guess, I mean, I guess you, I guess you're investing in fund managers. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm talking about fund managers or the actual or the direct investment, but, um, yeah. And so, so, so what's interesting is that you, you know, investing at the manager level, um, you know, you're, you're making a bet on, um, on people who themselves are contrarian and hoping that their strategy plays out, um, that way. Right in, in a contrarian way, and they don't just follow the crowd. Um, and so it was really interesting because, you know, in those early days of Princeton, I'll give an example. We we invested in a buyout fund um, that, or you know, you know, kind of growth growth capital slash buyouts that was buying up a lot of um, software companies that were declining. So huh. yeah, they were literally buying like COBOL companies, right? Um, huh. And these were companies that were, you know, they would pay two times cash flow for these companies. Wow. Um, right. But the, you know, but the top line of these companies is declining by, you know, 10% a year, okay. but you're like, Holy smokes, do these things hold on just long enough to, you know, kind of cash flow us. Um, then what these guys did was pretty clever. They said, well, what if we smash a bunch of these together and create kind of a strategic asset? One that itself has kind of a base of business, a cash cow business, but then can invest in kind of growth areas. And so that kind of thinking, um, uh, you know, was, was, uh, was really interesting to us. We, you know, we gave these guys a lot of money. Um, and, uh, and at one time their kind of software cluster, which kind of acted as, you know, almost as one company, um, uh, you know, was like the, fi- the sixth or seventh largest software company in the United States. And you're like, wow, that's kind of wild. So, you know, but, but what enables that, this is kind of one of the things that's great about private equity and venture is you have to have an extremely long time horizon, right? Like it's, it's, um, you know, we used to say in the public markets, you know, you always dreaded the moment where your trades turned into an investment, right? When you got that like gobsmack of bad news and, you know, now you're a long-term holder. Well, in private equity, right? Like that's actually something you can exploit, right? It's, it's, um, you can, uh, you can, um, 
Awesome. Definitely, uh, you know, uh, you, can, you can buy it. Oh, I'm having a total break. No, that's fine. I mean, yeah, you can totally buy your time. Right. While everyone else is worrying about the quarterly, you can focus on creating value for the long term, probably. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's a great example. And and, and uh, so I want to start talking about Venture Investment Associates, and this is very related. Which, but, which, which by the way, just uh, to yeah. double click. But, you know, not everything worked out, right? You know, no. <laughs> I always say, and this is one of my, you know, one of my kind of founding beliefs, like, you know, you, you have to be willing to take the risk of being wrong and alone to be right and alone, mm. right? Oh, yeah. And if you're, you know, being right and alone is where, you know, fortune and glory reside. Um, but being wrong and alone is career risk, right? And so, um, so long story short, you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. You know, we've, you know, we did something, you know, I did stuff later in my TIFF career that was maybe like a little bit too creative where we had people kind of trying to monetize innovation in different ways or, or have you that, you know, that hasn't worked out as we like. Um, but I feel like, you know, if I didn't do those investments, I also wouldn't have had the kind of courage and risk profile to do the things that did work. Yes. Yeah. Now I'm really curious what those are. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I, yeah. Well, yeah. Can you, can you, do you have an example of one just quick? You don't have to go into much detail. I'm, I'm curious, uh, um, which ones didn't work out. You know, the one that I'm, the one that I'm thinking of, um, I'm under like all kinds of non-disclosures. Yeah, that's fine. So I probably should keep my mouth shut. That's fine. <laughs> that's wise. That's wise. Um, so let's, uh, all right, and I have a following question. But let's first, can you just uh, give us a little overview on Venture Investment Associates? You know, like the, well, I mentioned the fund size or how much money you have under management um, and the number of investments and um, anything else you can tell us. Sure. Great. And um, hold on a second. There's a little construction going on outside my window. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to have to decamp for a moment. Um, I can't. <laughs> so hear let's it. see. Hold on. Okay. All right. Well, let me, let me, uh, let me try If it becomes an issue, um, yeah, you know. just speak up. And we'll... <laughs> okay. Good. So anyhow, so, uh, Venture Investment Associates was founded in 1993. There's actually the, um, the successor to our founders work at American Express, where he was one of the early investors in, um, in private equity. And yeah, I call him the Hubble Space Telescope of Venture because he sees all the way back to the beginning of the universe in a sense. And so, um, so long story short, we were founded in 1993, actually bought the assets out of American Express, the, the on balance sheet assets, and then turned that business into a fund of funds. And again, kind of investing in managers, um, you know, who then go out and, and select the assets and built, uh, you know, a business that our founder stopped that did that from 93 to 2000. Um, and then his son joined in 2000 and, you know, raised progressively larger funds. Um, then, uh, I joined in 2011. Um, and, you know, in the meanwhile, we started investing in energy funds in a fund to funds format. And then I joined in 2011 with the idea of, um, of, uh, kind of building up a practice in small and idiosyncratic fund investing. So, you know, we've raised now a series of these smaller funds and um, uh, smaller fund-oriented funds. And in the meanwhile, I've also started doing some direct investing into companies 
um, you know, they kind of spin out of some of these funds where oh. they might need some more financing. So that's been a ton of fun. So today we have, we've actually got closer to $2 billion in, oh, wow. in assets under management. And, um, and we're just kind of chugging along, having, uh, having a blast and exploring some new, new areas, um, where, you know, trying to, as Yogi Bear would say, hit them where they ain't. <laughs> nice. And, uh, what, uh, so with the funds you work with, you know, what size are those and how many investments do you make in, in those funds? Sure. So, um, so the funds level will invest in kind of, uh, you know, this is in the small funds. We've also got a flagship fund that does, um, you know, more conventional, uh, investments, but in the small funds, um, and that's kind of a, a great option for, um, for, uh, you know, kind of mid-size institutions and, and large family offices. Whereas, um, in the small funds, they tend to be more niche and we dial up the risk and potential return. Um, and so we're looking at kind of smaller funds doing more, um, more quirky things. And so our investors in those funds tend to be, um, you know, larger institutions that have perhaps existing portfolios and are looking to shine their flashlight into a, into a new area. And so, uh, so that's, you know, that's been a lot of fun. And in, in the smaller funds, we'll probably do three to four in new investments a year. Um, and, uh, you know, typically in funds that are sub a hundred million dollars. Hmm. Um, and I like to be one of the biggest, uh, investors, you know, in those funds. And I have a real kind of proclivity for finding new managers. Um, so, you know, one of the things maybe we'll talk about later is, um, you know, some of the, some of the stuff that I had fun doing kind of in the middle part of the last decade in seeding some of the, you know, kind of managers that have really emerged over the course of this decade, um, as, you know, kind of leaders in the, in the small fund space. Well, that was my uh, next question was who are some of the funds you invested in? <laughs> can, you, can you share? Sure. Can, can you share? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I tell the story all the time and, yeah. you know, it'll probably be kind of carved on my tombstone um, because I tell it too much. But, um, you know, back in kind of 04, 05 and kind of, you know, double clicking for a moment on my, uh, my jump from Princeton to TIFF, the, you know, you had me at hello moment at, um, at, Tiff was when our chief investment officer was this kind of great thinker, David Salem. He, uh, he looked over at the table. He looks across the table at me and he goes, look, I want you to come on board and I want you to invest courageously. I want you to be a hero. And I was like, whoa, that's a great mandate. So, you know, long story short, I was like, hey, how do we stand for? Sorry. Oh, it's, it's right. It's the investment fund for foundation. Okay, thanks. I know you said it earlier. So yeah, they're yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, and there's they're great, uh, great folks. They still run funds and do fantastic stuff. Excuse me, um, but the uh, the that moment where you know Salem was like, I want you to, I want you to invest crazy. I want you to be a hero. Like, I felt like it gave me a mandate to go do some interesting stuff. And so you know, one thought I had, and this is maybe the one only great insight I've had in my career was I was like, look, the fundamental economics of entrepreneurial finance are changing, right? We went from, you know, the late nineties when it would take seven to 10 plus million dollars to get to first revenue. You know, all the stuff that we talk about when we talk about lean startup today, you know, all that stuff was kind of coming into vogue in those four Oh five, you know, uh, Amazon's elastic compute cloud, open source, like all these like m- modular things that you could now, you know, you, you and I could start a company for a, a fraction of the cost, 
you know, in, in 05, um, of what it cost, uh, you know, previously. Um, and today, you know, some people joke that the, you know, starting a company, the, the real cost is just the opportunity cost of your unemployment. Um, you know, because you can, you know, rent everything and so many things are, are free, you know, and obviously that's in the consumer space and it, you know, it, it, it stresses me out that the barriers to entry are low and all that stuff. But I had this great insight. I was like, wow, you know, this is, um, this is something that could, um, you know, could really change economic, you know, the economics of, of investing. And there were all these funds that had been raised during the bubble that were just too big. And I was like, okay, you know, could a small fund exist, right? I mean, they, they could be more nimble. The arithmetic could work in their favor. And at the same time, you know, could they be meaningful, right? Could they punch above their weight enough that they could, they wouldn't be irrelevant to the companies and they could add value the way we liked our other, our bigger funds who, you know, kind of promised to be catalytic investors might, might add value. And so I was kind of running around and talking about some of this stuff. And somebody said to me, I I'd spent a lot of time talking to portfolio companies, understanding who they thought were value added investors and all that stuff. And, um, Long story short, uh, uh, um, I, a bunch of people pointed me to Josh Koppelman, who mm. was then <laughs> just getting first round capital off the ground. And you know, Josh and I started talking, and and after you know, kind of a several meetings, I said, "Look, I want to give you money." And he was then running like a these little you know small friends and family funds. And Josh says, "You know, great. I you know I'll you know I'll let you into my funds, but the flip side is I want you to help me continue to." flesh out this idea and uh and then eventually if if we can test these hypotheses uh around you know does this scale you know is this worthwhile is this a good use of time if we decide to go institutional i want you to help me with that and so josh and i would sit in the west conshohocken marriott in west conshohocken pennsylvania you know once a month once every couple of months and have breakfast and talk for hours about um about his vision for first round capital, which really was a very disruptive and pioneering firm. You know, their, their motto is turning venture capital on head. And I felt really lucky to be kind of involved in those days, um, helping Josh think about how they might disrupt venture capital. And, um, and, uh, and so then when time came to raise FRC two, um, you know, the, the, you know, I, I made introductions to, you know, several investors who I think totaled 85% of Josh's mm-hmm. capital base. I helped him with his slide deck and his legal docs and all that stuff. And so, you know, that fund turned out to be the Uber fund. Um, <laughs> and, uh, do you know what the returns were on that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I do, but, uh, okay. but I probably shouldn't all say, right, but let, <laughs> let's, let's put it this way. That fund, there's a lot of great stuff in that fund. Yeah. You know, there's several companies that are really broken out. Um, and you know, that fund is probably going to be one of the, the better funds of, you know, of scale of all time. Uh, um, and, and so I get calls from the Yale investor or from the Yale alumni fund. Um, and you know, whenever I forget to send in my check for $10 or whatever, and you know, they asked me, you know, Hey, when consider increasing a gift, to said, the best gift I'll ever have given alma mater is that, uh, mm. is that, you know, introduction to first round because that, you know, that commitment will have, uh, you know, kind of, returned uh, a very meaningful sum so um so that's uh, that's all in fun but uh but I, I did that with a bunch of managers and even today you know as I, I shine my flashlight into different corners um love helping managers doing different stuff get off the ground 
And, you know, when, when you're, you know, there's a, there's a saying, you know, in the, in the funds business, don't be weird. Um, but I, I'm kind of really attracted to these weird funds. And so, um, you know, they sometimes have trouble raising or whatever, or thinking about how they might, um, you know, kind of grow their businesses, um, you know, and be effective investors. And that's where I really love to kind of bring my experiences to bear and be a, be a fund mentor. So what, what would be an example of a, do you have any weird funds now that, or weird, I, I know you don't have to target or name exact fund, <laughs> yeah, weird yeah. ideas or weird uh, domains or, yeah. Well, so, so, um, so long story short, um, one of the, one of my ideas, you know, and one of my themes right now actually is like, I'm sick and tired of conventional funds, right? I've seen, hmm. you know, last year I saw, you know, 150 funds and it got to the point where these fund managers would come through and they all look the same, you know, kind of ex entrepreneurs at hot companies who, you know, kind of had one little kind of quirky, interesting thing about them, uh, who all seem to be angel investors in the same 50 deals. And after a while, they just all sounded the same. I thought at one point I was like on an episode of that Ashton Kutcher show, Punk. I was like, oh my God, dude, this is the same meeting I had last week. Like, I had to look at my calendar to make sure it was actually a different person. So, I, you know, I started to look, um, what I'm ta- what I'm really focusing on more now is, is people are doing what I call co-creation. So really getting involved in companies at a much earlier stage, even kind of in the, in the form of discussions and helping to build out the teams and, and stuff like that. And one group, uh, is a group called Other Lab. Um, so they've got a, a website, O-T-H-E-R-L-A-B. Um, and you know, and they're, and they're really interesting guys because they're a bunch of inventors. Um, and they've got some interesting ideas about um, robotics, for example, um, and uh, and stuff like you know thermally adaptive fabrics and programmable matter and stuff like this. Which is like, oh, this is some really interesting stuff. If we could put a fund around this, um, you know, I would love to love huh. to be involved. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time with those guys. Um, you know, really just. Um, just helping them think about uh, how they might deploy capital and what structures might work and what kinds of things they want to invest in, what kinds of things they might avoid. And you're really just kind of advising them on, on a lot of the the dynamics um, that a lot of early funds struggle with. Wow. That is a, that's awesome. That sounds a, that's a, that's really interesting. Yeah. You you are taking it to another level, which is a, I think can make a, can make a lot of sense. I mean, you're almost, they're kind of like incubators in a little, little ways, but, um, I think that's where a lot of, yeah. I, I think that's where a lot of things are going. That makes sense. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think the incubator space is interesting. Um, but, uh, but at the end of the day, getting that, you know, that real invention, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, is, is, is what I think is, you know, can really, really stand out. But again, it runs the risk of, uh, you know, potentially, you know, kind of having, you know, missteps, but you got to have, you know, if you don't, you know, blow the engine up every now and again, it doesn't mean, it means you're not running the car fast enough. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Something like that. Oh, man. <laughs> um, all right. Oh, I was going to ask, well, I guess my, now this question is a little different because I, you know, I was going to ask, how did you decide to invest in certain funds? But now like your strategy is almost, you're going down to like, you know, the operators and inventors almost, which is almost, it's a little yep. different mentality. Um, I guess at what stage would you invest in, and maybe you already did, but you don't invest in other lab or somebody like that. Like what, what does it take to be like, okay, 
Now, I've taught these guys for six months. These guys have some stuff. This is great. I'm going to invest. Or what does it, what does yep. it take? Yeah, so, so you know, a lot of people in my seat start with performance and look at, you know, how, how people have performed. But, you know, I, I'm a believer that the old warning that past performance is not necessarily an indicator of future success. There is a persistence of performance in, in venture, but, um, but there are a lot of things that, um, that impact it as well. So instead of starting with performance, like many people do, I actually start with the people. So understanding, you know, are these people, um, somehow, uh, y- you know, unique or distinctive and, you know, kind of second to none in a specific area? Like what is it that is their durable edge? Um, at the same time, I'm also thinking about the strategy, not necessarily, uh, a question of, uh, you know, do, do I, uh, agree with the strategy or not? Because I have, you know, there's certain things where I'm, I'm a skeptic, but, the, but I also acknowledge I have no monopoly on wisdom, right? Like, uh, and so, um, so, you know, there's certain strategies that have worked out that I never thought would. So I'm, what I'm looking for with respect to strategy is making sure that there's a resonance with the people. And, you know, are they well-suited for this strategy? There are a lot of people who, who aren't, who, have, who lack that self-awareness. Um, out of the people, the strategy falls the portfolio. And so usually I'll invest in somebody. Um, the earliest I'd invest in somebody is when they have, you know, kind of a handful of companies that kind of give me an inkling for what they're capable of doing um, and how they add value. And so that's where I spend most of my evaluation time is understanding the portfolio, spending time with the portfolio companies, understanding what, um, you know, what, what value these investors have added, how those investors access those deals, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot to get your arms around there. Um, and that's, that's where I spend a lot of time in out of the portfolio in the long term will fall the performance, but that's a lagging indicator, not a leading indicator. So kind of going through that framework is, is how I, you know, kind of chase things down and, and find um, and evaluate new opportunities. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, well, oh, I got one follow up on that, but before that, I was curious, And can you tell the folks on the podcast that, you know, kind of how, the fees structure. You don't have to tell your exact fees, but um, sure. I mean, if you want, you can. But I'm sure you don't. Uh, but it, you tell it, kind of the fee structure from the fund to fund perspective because it's a little different. Sure. There. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so uh, I'll give you know kind of a, a generic portrait. Um, so typically, a fund of funds will charge anywhere from you know half a percent to one and a half percent management fee. Um, and you know, we're somewhere in the middle of that. Um, and then on top of that, um, a carried interest. So if there's profit, um, you know, you get, you get a percentage and the range of those is, you know, I'd say like the, the middle two thirds of that is, you know, kind of 5% to, uh, to 10%. Um, you know, in our case, we actually have a hurdle, which is uncommon. So we actually don't take any carry until we've returned, um, you know, twice our investors money. Um, but, uh, so that's a pretty fast rabbit, but that's, you know, that's how we articulate our belief that that's the very minimum, you know, level of compensation you should accept for, for the, the riskiness of the asset class. Um, so, uh, so, you know, mind you, those fees that were on top of, um, on top of the, uh, you know, the underlying fund manager fees. So I actually have to be really darn good at my job to, um, 
to kind of surmount that high hurdle of, of you know, kind of fee and incentive comp drag. Um, and I've been, you know, kind of lucky that historically, you know, I, I've been able to, to, you know, find managers who can generate, you know, market beating returns net. Um, you know, and that's, that's kind of what I, what I spend my life trying to figure out. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, what do you guys try, you know, like you often hear like a venture fund, they, they try to return generically three X to their investors, mm-hmm. right? Invest a million, try to yep. turn three. Do you guys have uh, multiple like that? And I mean, and, and you must have to have some good size exits in order to, uh, um, at least, you know, get double the money back for the investor. Yeah. And so look, I mean, our, so I love that three X has become kind of the, yeah. the hurdle. Um, because I think it's, I think it's like really facile thinking because if I were to tell you, if I were to gaze into my magic, you know, into my crystal ball, which by the way is in the shop. Um, but if I were to get it back from the shop and it was, you know, it gave, it gave me perfect foresight. And I told you that the market would have, the public market would have returned zero over the next 15 years. Um, I think a three X private, um, uh, return, which, you know, IRR is a timings based, uh, you know, metric, but you know, using some vast simplifications, you know, a three X, um, you know, gets you the kind of high teens, low twenties, um, you know, rate of return. So you would have beat the market, you know, by 20%. That would be so unbelievable as to, you know, make people write magazine articles. <laughs> if I told you on the flip side that over the next five years, over the next 10 years, um, the market returned 30% a year, you know, that's, that's less relevant. So I'm always thinking about things in terms of context of, you know, the market context is because private equity is basically a hyper octane, you know, public equity exposure where we're just exploiting this risk premium of being private. Um, and so, so, um, you know, but, but the way it articulates kind of specifically for us is, um, you know, we'll say, look, you know, we have this hard hurdle of 2x before we take any incentive comp. So that means we think, you know, we think that, that, you know, the, a true venture return should be somewhere north of that. Um, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, I think that's achievable, um, you know, with, you know, with, with some good, you know, work and thoughtful, you know, kind of thoughtful, um, investing, but it's by no means a layup. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Good. Good answer. Yes. And, context and, is important. You know, <laughs> context is important, right? And and look, you know, and it'll vary too. You know, in our diversified fund, um, you know, that's a very broad-based fund, and there's buyouts and venture in there. So some of those will zig when others zag, um, and it'll provide some ballast. I still think there's great public market beating returns possible, um, but that might have a different return profile than our seed fund that is investing in these small managers that, you know, some of whom I feel like will, you know, it's like the early days of the space program. They'll either blow up on the launch pad or get up into orbit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, two more questions. One is, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the other lab and like robotics, is, you know, is there any other area that you're especially excited about or looking at, um, that you can, sh- that you can share <laughs> Yeah, sure. So, so I love, you know, I love robotics and human augmentation. Um, you know, I think, I think we're, we're headed to a world where people are able to do things that they are previously unable to do. And this is, you know, 
people in Ironman suits necessarily, but I just think of, you know, kind of older people with mobility concerns or, you know, kind of people. So I, I think, you know, we're, we're going to really see, um, you know, flourishing of that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I mean, robotics is a big area, but we'll also see, you know, just machines helping us a lot in a lot of ways. Um, uh, and I think that, I think that we're seeing a real flourishing of that right now. Um, the other thing, you know, it's maybe at this point, like overhyped, um, but I really do think that artificial intelligence, what I'll call ambient computing, um, is really going to be interesting, especially when you add that to, um, you know, kind of voice act- activated stuff. I think Amazon's Echo and, you know, Google Home or whatever, you know, there's a whole bunch of these that I think are really going to start to change the game. And, um, and you know, there's some, obviously some privacy concerns and, and the future is a scary place. Um, but it's also, you know, a lot easier. But it's like, what if I walk over to the fridge and open it up and say, oh, darn, I'm out of eggs. And, you know, my Echo automatically orders me some eggs, right? And it knows how many I want. Oh, by the way, it knows that I'm having a party next week. And, uh, and that I'd like to make, you know, pancakes for my Super Bowl party and, and, you know, so to order extra eggs, you know, stuff like that, right? You know, you can almost imagine all these consumer applications and obviously the corporate setting, just, you know, business being smarter and, and having stuff happen without you having to think about it, I think it could be, you know, an interesting, uh, an interesting way of kind of pushing frontiers. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right. So last question. Uh, so, do you, you probably don't get as stressed as when uh, you were doing public markets back way back in the day. But uh, I mean, do you get stressed? And if you do, how do you, how do you uh, how do you get stressed, or how do you unwind, or how do you get away from the ground? <laughs> well, I'll t- I'll tell you. So you know, it, I- I'm constantly stressed because <laughs> um, the Good. number of things <laughs> that can go wrong in a company are amazing. Yes. Um. So. Uh, I mean, it's it's really wild. Um, uh, it, it's like risk compounded on risk on risk. It's like you know, b- building a nascent company or taking the company from zero to one is really um, it's like it's like growing an orchid. Right, the soil has to the soil has to be right, the sun, the everything it has to be just perfect. Um, and some of these companies break out and can create you know huge value as a result. So I, you know, the thing that I the way in which I've changed over the sixteen years I've been doing this is I try to be more even keeled because you hear about these companies that are like early breakout successes, like Foursquare. And you're like, holy smokes, this company is going to be, you know, kind of life changing. And then they kind of, you know, they, they kind of plateau. Um, and other things come out of nowhere. So just kind of managing that ebb and slow has been a challenge. Um, and, and, you know, you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, markets go up, markets go down, areas go in and out of favor. Um, you know, I just hope that what I, you know, I can control what I can control. Um, and I'm hoping that my managers are controlling what they, what they control, um, and doing a good job at it. And, and that's, that's fine. As for, um, as for how I de-stress, you know, I coach my son's little league team and, um, and, uh, I pitch batting practice twice a week and there's nothing more therapeutic than throwing. And these are 12 and 13 year olds now. And, uh, and I'll tell you that they're starting to like slap me around a little bit. I pitched in high school and stuff. And so, you know, just yesterday I was throwing cutters and change ups and sliders. And I'll tell you, my arm is feeling it today. So that's, that's how I, I de-stress. Nice. Are you a righty? 
or a lefty? I am, yeah, righty. Nice, nice. All right. So. Well, that's a pretty good way to end it on Little League. And so uh, definitely appreciate your time, Chris. It was awesome. And I, yeah, I mean, I, I knew you were doing some interesting stuff. I just didn't know it was this interesting. So great to uh, – well, Thank you. Great. Yes, it was better than expected, right? That's, that's uh, but, uh, good. Well, thanks for all your good questions, and uh, let's, uh, let's do this again sometime. <laughs> right. Sounds awesome. Well, thanks, Chris, and thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Flyer Labs. As always, I greatly appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye, Chris.